If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just released 15 and 60 Go boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible go-anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. With draw results starting to hit in a lot of western states and hunts being planned out, one of the hunts that's at the top of a lot of hunters' lists is for elk. Now, traditionally, elk hunting can be one of the more challenging hunts for people to find success, but a lot of those pitfalls can be avoided. As a professional elk guide for over 20 years, I've seen it all, and I've also taken a lot of hunters that had previously struggled filling tags on elk. Over the years, I'd noticed a few things that seemed to stand in the way of hunter success, and they're things that those who are consistently successful have a really good grasp on. So this week, I'm going to cover six big mistakes unsuccessful elk hunters make. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a first elk hunt for a guy that was a long time in the making. So this story actually takes place in Montana, and I, was, I happened to be guiding the entire season, the entire rifle season. And so it was my day off, it's the weekend, and I, I was pretty excited to go out and shoot a bull for myself. So I get to the trailhead real early, it's like a Saturday, and I'm unloading my stuff and another vehicle pulls up. And so instead of just busting out ahead, I know where I want to get, I've seen elk in here throughout the week, and I just figured I'm just going to go in here and, and see if I can find a bull. So before I decided to just go in there, I, I figured I'm just going to talk to this guy, see what his plan is, see where he's going, because I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want them to bump elk for me. I don't know what they know. They don't know what I know. Most of the time when I enter a conversation like this, I'm pretty coy. And this is, this is quite a while ago. I'm not the type that's going to be giving up a lot of information. So I wait there for the guy and I've got all my stuff on pack on, headlamp on, rifle over you know strapped on i'm like i'm ready to go so the guy rolls up 
And he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And he was like, hey, I was just waiting to see what your plan is. You know, I figured it's pretty early, but there might be other people that come in. It's the weekend. But since you're here, I wanted to wait and just see where you're planning on going. And so he starts talking. He's like, well, you know, I, I was just going to wait here till it gets light and and then, you know, probably start working my way up this trail. And I was like, okay, you know, this is still quite a ways before. It's probably a good at least an hour before daylight. Like, so he's just going to, his plan was just to sit in the truck and whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to plan on going up. I'll be about three miles away from here. So you don't need to worry about me, you know, wh- whatever. I said, just do your thing. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, hey, have you, have you been elk hunting? And I was like, yeah, you know, we've been guiding and whatever. Like, have you seen any elk? And I was just like, yeah, you know, everybody got their bulls last week. We, we did good. It was a great week. He's like, oh, really? They got elk? Oh, wow. So I start talking to the guy, and he's like, I've hunted elk for, I don't even know, it had to have been like 10, 15 years, and he never shot a bull. And he'd barely ever seen any elk. And he was an older guy. I mean, not me. I was like 19 every, or 20 or something. Probably everyone was old. Um, but he, he was an older guy, and I'm thinking, how? Dude, this guy has lived in his Montana his whole life and never killed an elk. He's like, yeah, it's just my dream to one day kill a bull. Hopefully, I'll be successful. And he just seemed like uh, he was just real excited about his plans, and, and maybe today was the day. And I was like, hey, man, I'll tell you what. I said, I actually know where the elk are in here. Why don't you just come with me, and you can shoot the bull if we find one. And his jaw dropped. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, just get your stuff. I was like, you can hike pretty good, right? He's like, yeah, man, I can hike great. I love hiking. Okay. So it's like pitch black an hour before daylight. So I was like, all right. I just finished guiding. I was like going to hunt for myself. And I just, I couldn't in good conscience not take this guy to go kill a bull. Because I was like, he spent all this time, I'm pretty sure... Like he never found success because he just, I don't think he just knew how to find success. He just did probably whatever his buddies did or his dad did, who knows. But he maybe just, he's like, he'd had, you know, close encounters, but he just never put it together. So I, I just decided, hey, I'm just going to take you out today. I'll show you, I'll, we'll find, we'll at least see some elk today. So he's like, okay, cool, cool. He was so excited. And so we start hiking up the trail and he kept up great. Like he was actually in really good shape, which I think to his credit was, I I think that he probably, if he knew the right things would have killed elk a lot sooner. So he, he's following me and we get to this glassing knob. So the way the, this mountain lays out, it's like, there's kind of a trail and the trail went off one ways, but we hooked it off the trail. So we like got to the top, took the trail through, there's like some burn. So it was like combination of burn, live timber, big openings, a lot of areas for elk to feed and, and just really good habitat. And so the trail kind of took off one way. Well, we dropped down, we got to the top and then dropped down below the trail because I knew there was this burned off glassing knob. And the elk had been traditionally feeding in the hillside uh, across the canyon. Like it'd be maybe mm, a thousand yards from the glassing knob, something like that. Maybe further, you know, like a mile maybe. So we get set up and we make it to the glassing spots. Maybe like, it's pretty easy, like two mile hike, maybe a little further, something like that and make it there just before daylight. So I set up and I just, I immediately get my, uh, spotting scope out and the tripod and I'm just set up ready. 
And he's like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's just, you know, just tripod. It's just have the spotting scope ready. Just see what kind of bowls are in here and, and pick apart a few areas. And we're just going to sit here in glass. And I'm sure this, like, he didn't really have binoculars. Or if he did, he didn't have them out. Like, just an old pair of binoculars, rifle, backpack with, like, some snacks and ready to pack out an elk, like a pack frame kind of thing. And uh, so the sun starts to come up and I know exactly where to look because I just hunted this area enough and had seen the elk in here earlier. And so it's like barely even light and I'm looking through the spotting scope in the area where the elk were, had been traditionally hanging out. So it's like, if you didn't know where you were looking there, you probably wouldn't have seen them this early. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to find them early. And so so I, I find the elk, but it's so dark. I can't see bulls or cows. I just see elk. So I'm like, yeah, I got some elk over here. He's like, really? No way. So let him look through the spotting scope. And he's just like, he's on cloud night. This is incredible. Wow, man. So he's looking through the spotting scope. I think at first he couldn't even see the elk. And, and so I, I'm telling him, okay, those dark things, now just watch. They're going to start moving. Sure enough, they're elk. He, he figures it out. So we let the sun get up and there's a herd of elk and in that first herd that I'd spotted, there wasn't any bulls. And so I keep glassing and I glass a little bit further uh, on the other side and I see the, the backs of some elk on a ridge through the spotter. So I, I'm like, all right, here's another group of elk. So we're looking at them and, and they're kind of feeding on the wrong way. So I, I decided, let, let's just bump down this ridge and see if we can get an angle on these elk. So we bump down the ridge, get an angle on the elk. And sure enough, I pick up three legal bulls in, in the group. And nothing crazy big, uh, just, you know, typical small five points, like a three-by-three, three, uh, a decent five-point, and another bull. I'm like, there's some bulls. And he's like, oh, man, okay, but they're way over there. That doesn't mean anything. I'm like, okay, we're just going to watch them. They're going to feed out. They're feed. They're just going to feed for a while, but... He's like, well, to be honest, to keep up with you to get here, I really kind of burnt it out. I don't think I can get over there as fast as I got to this point. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because he was doing really good. He was, he was keeping up at a good clip. So I was like, it's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like, we got all day. It's not, it's, we can take all day to get there. So we're watching the elk, and they go into this big patch of timber. The sun's up at this point, but like an hour after sunup, like the last cow had, had gone into the timber. And they're quite a ways away from this point. They kind of fed, and we just continued to watch them and watch them go into the timber. So he's like, oh, man, what are we doing? I was like, we're just going to get over there, and, and we'll get you set up. We're going to take our time to get over there. So you got all, we got all day to get over there. We're just going to get over there. We're going to get set up, and we're going to just wait for him to feed back out tonight. So he's like, all right, cool. So we actually hiked back up the ridge to the trail because we could have dropped down below where they were, but it's just, it was gnarly country. It would have taken, I, from what I could gather, it would have taken everything he had to just drop down and go straight up the other side. It's probably a mile and a half away. So instead I just opted where he took like a big three mile loop, but it's just a better approach for him. And so we went around and we go down the ridge and now we're like one ridge in front of, the big timber where they went into. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to set up here. Okay. For how long? I was like, well, just till they, they start feeding out. I'm, I'm sure they'll feed out in this evening. So 
we set up and we just wait. And I, we got a big rock pile there. And I, I ranged across. It was like 280 yards to the meadow that I assumed they were going to feed out into. And of course they could go anyway. But I, I thought this was just, this is the way that you kill elk. You, you find them, you get set up, you wait for your shot. So we're set up there. And by this point, it's like, I don't know, probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I was like, we're just going to wait until evening, till dark. And then the guy's kind of like, waiting till dark? I was like, yeah, we're going to wait until it's shooting lights over. But I'm pretty sure we're going to get a shot before then. So I'm just sitting there talking with him. And, you know, uh, and so we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. It starts to get evening time and the elk aren't showing up. And I, I could tell he's kind of getting, like, he seemed like he was getting a little nervous of like walking all this way back in there. But I was like, hey, don't worry. I know exactly where we're going. We'll be good. This is before anybody had GPSs or anything. I was like, dude, I, I grew up in the, on this mountain. I like, I've been hiking this thing since I was 10 years old with my grandpa. Like I could find my way out of here blindfolded. I promise you we're all good. So uh, we wait and it's like 30 minutes before shooting time ends. And the first cow comes out. I'm like, oh, okay, here it's going to happen. And the next cow comes out. And I see where they're going. And I think that I'm like, by the time the bull comes out, like they could, those cows could feed over and that bull could pop up higher in the meadow. And it'd be a little bit further shot than I think that he's ready for. So I'm like, let's, we're going to, while they're coming out, we're going to, we, we drop back the ridge that we were on and sneak up a little bit further, maybe another couple hundred yards up the ridge that we're on. So we got just a, a little bit cleaner shot and the whole time just peeking over, checking, making sure they aren't getting away from us. So we pop up and now they're kind of, they're just feeding. And so I get them set up, put my pack down on the rocks, get them all squared. I'm like, all right, you're just going to watch these cows as they come out. And sure enough, one of the, uh, one of the bulls pops out and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to stop him. I give it a, a cow call. And he lines it up, boom, hammers the bull, and I think he hit it good, but it's still standing there, so I just told him to keep shooting. I think he shot it two more times, and then the bull just, it never left its tracks, but I didn't, that close to evening and whatever, you just shoot a bull until he's on the wall for the most part, because the only elk that ever get away are dead elk, air quotes there, ones that a guy thinks he's hit good and just, it didn't hit as good as possible. So, or it just can soak it up and run down the mountain. So we put the elk, he puts the elk down and, uh, I mean, he's just ecstatic. He's hunted. I think it was something like 10 or 15 years of elk hunting and never killed an elk. And, you know, to me, that was just one of the things that I loved about guiding was there's so many people that I had taken out that had been on multiple elk hunts, uh, maybe even guided elk hunts, maybe by themselves, whatever. It's a lot of them had never even seen an elk. And then to go be successful, and it was like, it was my day off from guiding, but it was more rewarding. I don't even think I would have shot any of those elk anyways. It was more rewarding for me to be there and help this guy take his first bull than for me to shoot an elk myself. And it also really made me realize that I was very fortunate to know what I knew about elk hunting because there have been people that have been doing it wrong for so long that they just continued to hunt elk what I would consider maybe the wrong way and not knowing that there's a better way where they could consistently find success 
um, just by doing a few simple things. So what I really want to do now is jump into the six mistakes that I think a lot of elk hunters make. And of course, there's a lot of other mistakes or a lot of things you could do right. But I think that these things particularly stand out to me over the years of hearing guys that hadn't found success or running into people that have been struggling elk hunting. These are some of the things that I think were pretty consistent. The first one is picking the wrong country for the hunt at hand. So meaning that they might be in a place and focusing all their energy where elk are not or picking areas that weren't conducive to finding elk for the season. When I think about the way that I hunt or how I hunt a particular area or let's say I've got a general tag and I can hunt multiple areas, choosing where I'm going to hunt during the archery season might be completely different than the place that I might choose during the rifle season. Uh, sometimes those are the same though. It just depends on the area. What I do on a, a really cold, snowy winter in early winter is going to be completely different than what I might do finding elk in a season where it's unseasonably hot. Or if I'm in the Southwest, an area where what I'm focusing on in Montana might be a little bit different than what I'm focusing on in Southern Nevada. So for an example, the things that I might be focusing on during a rut hunt, an archery hunt, are going to be the cows. Those are, that's the main attractant for bull elk. So I'm focusing on where those cows are. I might also pick my preferred terrain based on my preferred hunting style. So that time of year, I personally like to call. And I might go into country that's a little bit thicker. So I'm going to go into country that's a little bit thicker because I know it holds elk that are harder to kill other times a year. And I might specifically target an area that has more timber, but also holds resident populations of cows. Now, I probably would never go into that area during the general rifle season if I could hunt both seasons because I would say that it'd be very difficult to locate the elk in that timber. It would also be an area that maybe those bulls aren't going to be in there anymore and probably aren't going to be in there anymore. Now, there are areas where there's resident herds and they're in the same place they were during the archery season, but that's not always the case a lot of places. So what I would do during the rifle season would be completely different. I'd probably completely change my tactic and look for a place where I could glass, a place that was more open. I'd maybe focus on a burn and a, or I'd focus on areas where there's good feeding because I know that winter's coming elk are done rutting there and bulls are not necessarily looking for cows so the bulls are going to pull away and they're going to be focused on feeding patterns and seclusion and safety and so those are going to be the things that i focus on for that time of year and the thing that i find a lot of hunters do is they just go like yeah well we rode to the top of the mountain because that just seemed like the place to go but maybe they rode to the top of the mountain in an area where the elk migrated out a month ago, or they're hunting in a migration area, but all they're seeing is cows. And it's like all the cows are in the valley, all grouped up in large herds, and they can't figure out where the bulls are. And I'd go, well, that time of year, the bulls are probably still up higher if there's good feed on those south-facing slopes. Uh, maybe in the early season, I'm more focused on north-facing slopes where elk have got more better bedding when it's hot. And then in the wintertime, when it's cold, they've got those south-facing slopes where it gets sun and the food burns off. And so that really boils down to understanding what elk are doing. And you go, hey, I'm going to an area where I've never been. 
never hunted elk before, how do I get a grasp on if I'm in the wrong place? Because the, the main theme that you hear when, when people talk about not being successful elk hunting is like, I didn't see any elk. And the question you have to ask is, did you not see elk because they're hard to find? Or did you not see elk because where you were hunting, the elk were not there while you were there? And I think many times it's the latter. I, I will put the caveat to this. Is I have run into a lot of hunters that don't see elk in areas where we're seeing a lot of elk. But I think the same principle applies is they're looking in the wrong places or in the wrong way. And so the best way to do this is to kind of understand the area. And there's a couple of ways that you can initially, if you've never been in the area and you're going, hey, how, how do I understand what kind of unit it is? A couple of things I would look at is the time of year. So I would say, well, what time of year is it that I'm hunting? So if you just right now sent me a magic tag and said, you get to go elk hunting, and this is an area I've never been, I'm going to first look at a few things. I'm going to look at the season dates and go, okay, when am I hunting? Let's say it's a November hunt. Now I'm going to pull out my go hunt maps and I'm going to just really understand this area and, and just probably could tell a lot about the elk and the type of unit based off of a couple things that this would be my initial findings. I'm going to first look at the elevation of the area and the topography area. What kind of area is it? Now, remember, I don't, I know nothing about this tag. So if I look and I go, well, the season's November 1st through the 5th, and I see that there's a big mountain that's 12,000 feet, and I see a lot of low-lying elevation foothills that are 8,000 feet, and then I see ag fields that are 3,000, 3,500 feet, 4,500 feet, something like that. I'm going to go, well, I would imagine that they're going to be out of those super high basins by that point, especially beginning of November, depending on weather. So they're probably going to move down. They probably, there's going to be bulls that will hold up at that six to 8,000 foot range if there's good south facing slopes. And then there's going to be a lot of cows down low in the probably what would be private ag that time of year. That would be a very consistent thing. Now, now obviously, it's going to depend on the weather too, but that's something that I can defer about that unit is I think that those elk are transitioning or they transition from one area to another. Now, there definitely can still be elk up higher in that area come November, but odds are that they've already started to transition and they're somewhere between where those cows are going to winter and where those bulls were probably summering. Or... It could even be where those elk were running. So I'm assuming that those elk were running in that mid-elevation. The cows have moved down and the bulls have kind of, after moving back up, moved back down with the weather. So I can kind of understand that. Now I might look at the same another area and say, hey, this is more of a like an area that I don't think elk would transition from here. There's not a lot of good travel route. There's really no reason for them to. This is probably an area that holds a lot of resident elk. Or maybe it's a winter range. And I go, yeah, it's a winter range, elk winter here, but there's surrounding areas that are higher plateaus or whatever. But there's also probably resident herds of elk in this particular area. Um, generally, areas that are winter ranges also hold resident herds of elk. So I can look at it that way and go, well, it's an archery tag, and there's probably resident herds of elk in here. Okay, what's some things that this area is kind of lacking? And I'm going to pick that type of country for the hunt. And I'm going to say, like, oh, maybe my particular style is calling. So I'm going to find more timber. Maybe my particular style is spot and stock. 
I'm going to target areas where I can effectively spot and stock. I'm going to look for those areas in this timbered unit that are more open. So picking the right country for the hunt at hand, for the time of year, and your preferred hunting style is the first step in being a successful elk hunter. Targeting, I would say, elk-rich environments and base it off of the way that you like to hunt and the way that you want to hunt, if that makes sense. Number two, the second biggest mistake elk hunters that are not successful make is they do not glass enough. And I don't care if you are in country that is thick, like timbered country, you still should be glassing as you're still hunting through thicker stuff. You need to be glassing. You need to have those binoculars to your face. Glassing, optics, and being able to effectively glass is the single most successful tactic probably you can employ for most species when it comes to Western big game hunting. Um, I think another big misconception when it comes to not glassing enough is people think that elk are big. And this is, this is to guys that have maybe not hunted elk a lot. You go, elk are huge. Like, yes, elk are huge. But they can still be hard to see. They can be in country that you're looking at over a lot of country, and you actually can't see a lot of that country. So they'll be obstructed by regenerating forest, like small pine trees. They could be in more sage country where you go, it looks real open, but they're sitting down, they're bedded, and they can be hard to pick out. Or they could be in a meadow that's six, seven miles away, and you're throwing up your binoculars, hand-holding them in this shaky way, and you think that, like, I would see an elk that's out there. And if you don't really know what you're looking for, it'll be so small that you just will go unnoticed. And I think that that happens a lot. I think people look over a lot of elk because they aren't, like, thinking about it with looking for enough detail to effectively cover that country they don't look enough they don't look diligently enough and they definitely aren't looking what i would consider close enough you can look over a lot of country but how you're looking at it makes a big difference so in the story where i took the guy out that hadn't seen any elk he had, he had no binoculars on i think he probably he walked or like his main hunting after talking with him his main hunting strategy was like just walking around till he ran into an elk and that does happen i mean i've i don't know i i I can think of you know i've been on hundreds of elk kills uh both guiding and my own hunts and maybe more than hundreds and when i think about it there's very few that we just like lucked upon i mean walking around so much and you go now i mean when you're intentionally still hunting that's that's a different thing but just kind of walking around, maybe going to a different spot or whatever. Every once in a while you run into elk, we have killed very few that way. In the thousands of days out there, most of the time, you know, there's a certain tactic that you're using and there's a reason you're using it. When you're using those tactics, you tend to find elk. When you're just kind of walking around hoping to run into elk, it's very hard to, for that to happen. People get lucky. People, it happens. But it's not as consistent. And I think that you know, the difference between the way that he hunted and the way that I hunted was I had spotted those elk before essentially sunup because I knew where to look one, but also I was locked down with optics, really just picking apart those openings while elk were in there. 
you know, it was a general rifle season that gets a lot of hunting pressure. Elk don't like to be out in the open in the daylight too often. Now they're in some scattered trees, but I kind of had to continue to watch them with the spotting scope to keep tabs on them and see where they ended up feeding to. And luckily they're in an area that wasn't really getting too much pressure, but in areas that get a lot of pressure, those elk don't want to be out in that open very long. So you need to be glassing the place that they're feeding at that really early light. And that means being locked off with optics, having a spotting scope out, really, really analyzing and picking everything apart. And then the times that you are glassing, diligently glassing, covering that country, getting steady, really looking over the places the elk like to be. And I think that the this probably could have been, if I was to rank all these in order of importance, this is probably the most important. You, I just can't stress enough how often you need to put your glass to your head to find elk, or any animal for that matter. And I think that uh, the hunters that don't glass enough don't find that consistent success. All right, we're going to jump into number three. Number three is, this is specific to archery elk season and calling elk, but I think a mistake that a lot, especially a lot of new elk hunters that are going on a, a bow hunt make. And honestly, this is probably a lot of hunters. When you're, when you're calling in a bull, you've got a bull working. I feel like the biggest mistake hunters make when calling elk is not getting close enough. Killing elk can be a proximity game, especially when it comes to calling. I have called elk like from a mile away to my setup, maybe once. Like it just doesn't happen for me that often. But I have called in and killed a lot of elk that I've got calling and then closed the distance within under 100 yards, I would say. The closer, the better, depending on the topography in the country. And got that bull to commit to my calls and come in. And that means that I've moved from where I heard them from to a closer proximity to get them to respond and come into my call. And I think that that's one of the things as elk move and continue, things continually change, people end up too far away from the elk that they're calling and they waste all their time calling to an elk that isn't actually going to come any closer because the bull that they're perceiving to be is not an actual threat to this elk. Now, sometimes they'll round up their cows and move off. Sometimes they're going to naturally move off. But by getting in close enough, whatever that call you're making is, whether it's a bugle, a challenge to that bull, or you're trying to cow call, being in close proximity to the bull when you're doing it makes it a lot more successful. Now, there is that you can get in close and scream, and then the bull freaks out and rounds up his cow and runs away. I've talked about this on other podcasts, the tactic dogging the bull. But I think that uh, for me personally, my strategy and calling style is to get in tight and use those calls to bring the bull the rest of the way or to draw him from the herd and get him to come in. Now, it's very situational, but I'd say throughout the majority of the rut, when a bull is, is bugling and has other cows and other options, getting in close makes it a lot easier for that bull to commit to whatever setup that he's hearing. Number four is going to be something that uh, I think is for a lot of scenarios. It could be archery hunting, primarily rifle hunting, and it's just not being patient at the right time. So this goes with a lot of different tactics in a lot of different ways, but this is how a lot of elk get probably saved 
by people not being patient at the right time, meaning that the story of that hunter is a really good example. We, we saw where the elk were. We, we got into position. We'd spent all day to get into position, and then we were waiting for them to come out in the evening. So many hunters turn around too early. They're like, they're in position. They're like, I, man, I don't really want to walk out in the dark. Now it's, I mean, back in the day, I, I guess I understand like people in new areas and going, it's going to get dark and I've never been here before. No such thing as GPSs. Their navigation skills aren't great and there's no trails or anything. I get it. You know, I mean, if it was me, I'd just be like, I'm sleeping out here. But, you know, you could, I think like now, especially with, so much modern technology that's a game changer for a lot of people that don't know areas and can just go oh cool i can i don't need to know where how to get out of here i've got my gps well i think too many people rely on that stuff but honestly it does change the game in that regard of saying like okay you need to be patient those elk you got to see if those elk are going to come back out and if they do come back out it's probably going to be at dusk, at dark, or, you know, right before shooting time ends, the last 30 minutes of shooting light, the last hour of the day is when this is going to go down. Might even be the last five minutes of shooting light or legal shooting time. And so you really want to be in that best position and be patient and say, I'm going to wait until that optimal time. It also can be the same not being patient at the right time can mean seeing an elk and going, I just got to get over there. When they're going to move into the timber and you don't know exactly which patch they're going to go into. Sometimes you you do, but you got to you really have to decide your ability and how much time you have to get somewhere. Sometimes it's better to just sit back, watch and see what happens and then make a good plan. I know so many hunters that like finally see a bull and they just lose their mind. They go, I've been hunting all week, and they just lose their mind, and they go do something stupid. They don't wait for the right winds. They like the, the winds are swirling, the thermals are going down, and they just charge in there. And they don't kill an elk because they blew them out because they weren't patient at the right time. Um, I, I think that you know making smart plays kills a lot of elk. And so the guys that cons- are very consistent at it, they know when – to make their moves and they know when to wait it out and just by waiting that little bit at the end of the day or by you know sitting on that glassing knob and really picking apart that area in front of you paying attention to what's going on and being patient at the right time can be a game changer now number five is in some ways the opposite of number four but i think you have to have the perfect combination of these two things Number five, the mistake people make is they don't move quick enough and are too timid. This is one thing that I learned guiding that people did not realize about elk hunting. I'm just going to describe an archery elk hunting scenario that is nearly every bull that's ever been killed with me. It's like elk are bugling. Now they're moving. We're moving. And we aren't just walking. We are going from running to crawling to stopped to freezing because it's like we're pinned down by some cows then they move off and then we are now running again and that continues until you kill a bull and that continues for five to seven days it is a constant you need to be where the elk are when they're there and this is primarily i would say a very archery specific tactic but it also 
is for a lot of other seasons because there are times when you do have to move quick. And there are times where guys, especially, I mean, this is very specific for archery, is one of the mistakes that I see hunters that I'm taking out make is they get too timid. I'll be calling, I'll be like, okay, go get set up right there. And they'll get set up by a tree and they don't move from that tree. And But yet the elk are kind of taking a different path or there's an obstruction and they don't think like, okay, I can't crawl around this area because there's an elk over here. An elk that doesn't see you, doesn't know you're there, that's focused on a collar that's a ways away and they get too timid because they see one animal instead of making a more bold and aggressive approach to that bull to put themselves in a position that's going to be more advantageous. And it's situational. But I think when people get in real tight, they get a little too timid around elk. And then they don't necessarily move quick enough when they need to. There's so many rifle hunts where it's like, well, I mean, you're, you're set up and you go, okay, I'm set up. This is great. And then a bull comes out and he pops over the ridge. And instead of, I mean, my first move would be once he's gone over the other side and I, if I don't have a lot of time left, literally just run over to get into a place where I can get eyes on that bull and, and hopefully get a shot. I think elk hunting is like the type of hunting, maybe pronghorn is also, I would say one of the two types of hunting where you seem to be semi-jogging the whole time. Pronghorn hunting and elk hunting have that in common where you are moving quick when you need to because when you see elk in a certain place, sometimes you need to be there now and to get there now, it's too late. So you got it. You really have to hustle. And then when you're moving in, especially with a bow, it goes back to number three, don't get in close enough when calling specifically for archery hunters is they get too timid when they need to move forward in advance. Now you don't want to spook an elk. You need to be careful and whatever, but you also need to be patient at the right time. So you need to move quick and be patient at the right time. And the combination of those two things is absolutely deadly in the elk woods. And last but not least, I would say number six is people don't get off the beaten path or they don't go after elk. And you think about this, you go, no, that doesn't sound right. And then think about times that you weren't successful on a hunt. Was it because you didn't find any elk or was it because you found elk, but you couldn't get to them or didn't want to get to them? And there's a few factors that play into this. Physical conditioning is one of the main reasons guys going into the hunting season kind of physically unprepared. And we talked about physical conditioning last week. I think that now is a good time. We, I mean, not to beat a dead horse here, but it's one of the most important things when it comes to success. And so you just can't emphasize it enough. Being in good shape, being able to get off trail, get off the roads, being able to go that extra mile, not just falling into that rut of driving around or, or walking kind of without a purpose, like being able to get off that beaten path when that trail goes this way where every other hunter is taken, pop over to that ridge the other way and get into those little pockets that don't have as much pressure. Now, I think there's the, the other part to this of I've been on hunts before whether it's me guiding or talking with people where they, they really want to be successful. They really want to get a bull. Maybe it's day two or three of the hunt. It doesn't even matter what day it is of the hunt. There's like a bull. I've, I've seen it happen archery season, rifle season, whatever. It's like there's a bull bugling in the canyon across there. And they're like, ah, I don't want to go down there for an elk. But they want to kill an elk. 
So it's like uh, part of it's just being lazy. And I'm talking about people that can physically do it. Like I've had guys that I know or, you know, taken out hunting that are a hundred percent physically capable of doing it. I'm not talking about people that can't do it. I'm talking about people that can do it and just choose not to and wonder why they can't kill elk because they're good opportunities they're passing on because of distance or maybe not wanting to go over there or whatever it is. There's like an apprehension in some ways. There's so many clients that I've guided and the reason they kill an elk is because I'm like, we're going to go after the elk. We're, like I, I'll see an elk. This happened last year. I think I, I told this story, but when somebody's really down to go after the opportunities that are there, those are the people that go home with elk. I I took a lady out last year, and like we had very little time to get to these elk, like nearly an impossible stock. And she's like, "Yep, we're gonna go do it," and we did it, and we didn't get those elk. But we did the same thing the next day and didn't get those elk. And then we did the same thing the third day, and she shot a big six-point bull. And that's what it takes. You have to take advantage of those opportunities. And even when it's like a long ways or it seems hard, you have to give it a go. You have to put in that legwork and not just sit back and be like, oh, we'll find another one because you probably aren't going to, honestly. Or you might, but if you've got like – I don't know, you hear the saying, like, don't walk away from elk to find elk. You're going to spend as much energy trying to find another elk as that elk you've got right in front of you. If it's one that you want to take, go for it. Make the play. Exert that energy. Do what it takes to get that elk. And that's if you're physically capable of it. But most people are. They just have this mental block of, like, I don't want to do that. But they want to be successful killing an elk, and they're going to spend the rest of the however long hunting and probably go 10 times further than if they would have just gone over there and taken advantage of the opportunity given. So getting off that beaten path, you know, not making excuses on when you find out, you're like, ah, I mean, analyzing. I've been with people where it's like they analyze the map for three hours, and if they would have just walked over there, it would have been a dead bull. I've seen it too many times. And so I think that that's one of the things, like, when people hunt with me that I'm guiding, they're like, I would have never killed this bull without you because I probably wouldn't have gone over here or I probably wouldn't have even looked here because I wouldn't have wanted to go over here had I seen something. But by the time they do it, they go, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And sometimes it is as bad as you think, but 90% of the time it's not. So that's just, those are some of the major things that I've kind of pinpointed over the years of things that, cause people to be unsuccessful year after year and the people that have a really good grasp on these things are the opposite they're successful every year in areas that they've never been or areas that they hunt all the time because they do a few things that just swing the odds in their favor well i hope you guys really enjoyed that podcast I think that this time of year, it's so fun to get excited about elk hunting and think about that tag that you have in your pocket. If this is a year where you're going on your first elk hunt, think about a few of these things. Think about the strategies you're going to employ. Think about the area you're hunting. And of course, it's all learning process too. So when you go out there, whether you're successful or not successful, you're learning something about elk, the territory you're in, and it's going to lead to more success in the future. But if you keep a few of those things in the back of your mind 
I think that you'll be a more successful elk hunter, and you'll be in that category of the guy that comes home with the bull, fills a tag, fills the freezer. There's no better meat on the planet than elk meat. There's no more exciting hunt than elk hunting. So I think by just picking up a few of those tactics, you're going to find a lot more success. Now, one of the things that I'm excited to announce is a kind of a new partnership in a way, but a company that I have been a really big fan of for quite a while, Montana Knife Company. When you're successful in your hunt, having a good hunting knife, and Montana Knife Company makes some of the best hunting blades out there. The thing has always been, though, that they can be very hard to get. They're a smaller operation. They're handmade, American-made knives. They're incredible blades, really good steel. And the way that they would always do their knife sales would be knife drops. If you weren't on in the first five minutes, very difficult to get one of their, their knives. Well, it's pretty exciting because they actually have, they've got enough stock now where they're, they've got their Speed Goat fixed blade, one of their most popular knives, continually in stock. So you can actually go on their website right now and purchase a Montana Knife Company knife. They're honestly some of the best knives I've ever used. They're extremely high quality, and it's not just a knife that you would buy and you know discard. There, there's plenty of stuff out there like that. This is something that is a high-quality product that you would pass on for generations. I mean, I think that that's one of the things that kind of in some ways is, is a little bit lost in our culture now because there's so much stuff that you can just get and what have you. I remember my grandpa gave me his hunting knife and I used it for years. And I think that like this is a hunting knife that I would pass on to my kids because it is that quality and it, it's going to have those memories. So that that's really cool. It's I'm really excited to be working with them. I've loved their products and been a fan of what they're doing over there. And so to be able to work with them has been, it's a really cool opportunity for me. And the reason that I want to work with them is because of the products that they make. I'm just a big fan of high quality American made knives and they're just crushing it right now with what they've got on the market. Some incredible blades. So you can check that out. Montana knife company. Thank those guys also for, they've just been, uh, you know, over the years, just kind of those things where you build friendships within the things that you're interested in. And those guys over there, they live and breathe hunting and they're very passionate about what they make. So uh, it's exciting for me to kind of announce that I get to be working with them in a lot more detailed way in the coming future. And it's also really exciting that they've got, a, they finally got a stock of knives where you can go on their website today and buy that knife. Now, things will sell out and they'll just keep restocking, but they've got a goal of trying to keep that Speed Goat in the shop at all times. So that's available and you know you can pay attention to other future knife drops for different models and different knives and i'll keep you guys posted on some of those coming up so until next week i'm just gonna say keep why are the awkward goodbyes so hard what am i gonna say until next week i would just say you know follow those tips be successful be a successful elk hunter I'm excited for this season. I'm going to catch you guys later.